This is history for the future. What we can learn from the TRC with Pippa Green. Alex Perrain, a Methodist minister by training, was the vice chair of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. He had served as a member of parliament for the Liberal Progressive Party for 12 years, but resigned in 1986 as some of the worst excesses of apartheid rule intensified conflict in the country. He helped found the Institute for Democracy in South Africa, which geared itself to finding a peaceful settlement to the decades of violence sparked by apartheid. In his retirement, he has authored two books on the state of South Africa. I spoke to him in his Cape Town home about the legacy of the Truth Commission and what has followed. He says the truth the commission uncovered came as a huge shock to the country, particularly whites, whom he said did not understand the extent of atrocities committed by the apartheid regime. The key messages about reconciliation began during the Cadessa talks that negotiated the new democracy. But the TRC gave a platform to the thousands of mostly unheard victims of apartheid, who testified about the suffering they or their families had endured. The ones who came to us and I was impressed mainly by black women who were often uh, left behind when their loved ones went into exile or into prison or underground, uh, who had to face the sheer brutality of the police on a day-to-day basis. So the fact that they were able to tell their story seemed to be of enormous help to them and uh, to use a word that is overused uh, it seemed to bring closure uh, to many of them. What amazed me also was that many of the victims asked us to arrange meetings with the perpetrators uh, not to sort of condemn them but to try and find out why they had done what they had done and whether they could find each other and move forward. And many of them did. I mean, forgiveness uh, played quite a large measure. Uh, It was very much a a one-way traffic where the victims took the initiative. But in some instances, the perpetrators asked if they could meet the families the relatives of which they had either tortured or killed or imprisoned. Although there was often forgiveness or reconciliation between victims and perpetrators, it did not penetrate into the whole country or into the future to the extent that the Commission had hoped. What I think happened after the end of the Commission, which had a a life term, was that the recommendations we made uh, were largely ignored uh, by the state. I think one of the reasons was that they were very new and they had so much on their plate, but there's really no excuse for disregarding some of the far-reaching recommendations. For example, we said that if there was no economic justice Uh, reconciliation would die on the vine. And uh, our main stress was that reconciliation was not about words, but about action. And we pointed to the 
huge discrepancy between white and black, between rich and poor, and that we felt that this ought to be the first priority of government, to narrow that gap. You'd never ever get rid of it in any society. Uh, that's the nature of the, of the beast. But there were proper, organized, efficient uh, delivery of ordinary matters could, I think, have made a huge difference. He says the scrapping of racial laws helped to promote reconciliation. At last, people could eat together, dance together, live together. It was an offshoot of becoming a normal society. But now let me say that as a result of government's inaction and inefficiency and corruption on a large scale, uh, reconciliation has, I think, uh, taken a hell of a beating. Uh, many people who don't see any difference in their lives are angry. Uh, they show this in their demonstrations, which are quite violent at times. Uh, cars are burned, buildings are burned, uh, streets are torn up. Uh, and this happens more and more and more. And the government seems to be totally oblivious of this. They will say, oh, well, this is a crime or just a few dissatisfied people. There is a, I think, um, a growing uh, number of people, black people, who are disaffected. Who, uh, and I think their numbers are going to grow. Uh, I think the universities are going to feel the pressure. They already are feeling it. It's going to be much more than the Rhodes uh, statue. There are going to be many more uh, demands uh, for transformation. Uh, and, and rightly so. Because, you know, it's, also, also, it's a nice thought about the rainbow nation and uh, reconciliation and we all love one another. And uh, it's, it's just not true. There are huge gaps that still exist, he says, even in cities that may be more integrated. But I do know that there is this two societies living side by side, uh, and one of the worst features of apartheid is still alive and will be, and that is the Group Areas Act. It's been scrapped, but people were shifted and moved into uh, ghettos and many of them find it, the majority find it impossible to get out of those ghettos. Uh, so they live there and uh, they live separate lives there and uh, there's no, I mean there are exceptions obviously and marvelous exceptions but in the main uh, I think that as a nation uh, we have deteriorated over the last 15 years. Uh, when I think of the Truth Commission finishing its work in 1999, we are 
in a worse position now than we were then. The government, he says, has been seduced by power. Cozy relationships, as he calls them, have resulted in appointments being made at senior levels of people who are inadequate to do their jobs. This has led to misappropriation or theft in the public sector, or just plain inefficiencies. Education, for instance, is a total mess, despite billions being poured into it over the past 21 years. The teachers' union, Satu, is partly to blame, he charges. The standard of teaching, the domination of the uh, of Satu, uh, the fact that teachers very often don't show, or if they do show, they uh, stay for a while. Uh, there is seduction taking place. There is lack of teaching taking place in many schools. They are, again, wonderful exceptions. and But there oughtn't to be exceptions. It ought to be the norm. And these schools that are, are exceptions, whether they be all black or mixed or white or whatever, have got head, headmasters or headmistresses that care deeply, who work hard, and get the results. And thank goodness for that. But uh, I, I sense a kind of atmosphere of discontent, of just sheer unhappiness at the state of affairs, uh, largely amongst blacks, but many whites sort of feeling that uh, are becoming more scared, uh, thinking again of leaving the country. And of course, with the economic situation declining, uh, the resources aren't there, which means the problem of non-delivery of people living in squalor and in poverty and leaving school early, lack of economic resources are simply going to bedevil that situation and worsen it. So I think we're in quite serious trouble um, right now. And it's not easy against the background of a very powerful ANC executive who, and a powerful ANC that governs by majority, uh, not by democracy, uh, to see how we can uh, bring about the change which is necessary. Bahrain says reconciliation is an ongoing process, and that has to happen in colleges, schools, and other institutions. If you really want reconciliation to be genuine and real, there has to be uh, equality and economic justice, uh, which would include efficient delivery of basic services, of housing, of electricity, of roads, uh, of jobs. We, we pointed to the depth and length of, of, of poverty and said that this is uh, something which can't be sustained uh, without possible violence and reaction. And therefore, it was urgent that a speedy plan of action should be 
developed by the, the government to focus on economic justice. Uh, that's more or less what we were saying, and the government did not f follow that recommendation, like many other recommendations that they disregarded. And uh, I think we're paying a very, very heavy price for that. Instead, he says, many in government are focused on enriching themselves. And even though they had been excluded from wealth before, it was critical to put honest and efficient people in positions of responsibility. What the government did was to take their loyal supporters and put them in these positions so that they would be rewarded and in turn would continue to support and encourage the ANC. And that has proven, you know, disastrous. I mean, it's, it's involving billions, uh, not, not millions. And it's still going on. There's hardly a day that goes by that you don't read of some cock-up, if you like, to put it crudely. The rot, he says, is in the heart of the cabinet. And that is why the elephant in the room is Zuma. And until such time as he goes, I can't see any realistic shift uh, from where we are now. In other words, I... I talk about, is it possible for the ship of state to be turned around? Because right now it's wallowing, it's misdirected, it has no proper crew and no captain. And now how do you turn that ship around? Because if you don't, it's going to land on the rocks. Bahrain was criticised for being too pessimistic in his last book, What's Gone Wrong? But now, he says, the situation is more serious. We have to focus on how to right the ship. One thing is certain, you need a new captain, you need a new uh, leader uh, with vision. And it's, you know, it's very doubtful as to whether you know, Zuma is going to be protected by those who are closest to him and who gain and benefit from him, or whether he will go, and if so, who will take his place. And if it's just yet another loyalty appointment of someone who will smile as generously and do as little, then, uh, then we're in very serious trouble and the next thing we'll find that economically we can't cope and uh, we'll be at the mercy of the IMF and the World Bank. I asked where the steps towards economic justice were not made in the massive rollout of social grants after 1997 in particular. Research has shown that many were lifted out of poverty. He says they were a mercy to millions, but they are not enough. A, you need better education so that people are more qualified. You need trade schools. You need people who can be trained to do a job so that they have their self-respect. As long as you're receiving a grant, uh, uh, you, you lose something of your own uh, self-worth, your own independence. And then secondly, I, I think the way the economy is going, uh, these grants aren't going to be sustainable. And if you start removing those grants, then I think the situation becomes more volatile and the poorest of the poor will suffer even more. 
So I don't think the grant system, whilst it had a real role to play and has achieved a lot, uh, is something which is desirable to continue, and nor is it sustainable. So if he were back in the Truth Commission, what key message would he give the government to put the country back on track? Well, I would think that it would help enormously if the ANC, as government, acknowledged that we are in trouble, that it cannot resolve that problem on its own, and sought to, if you like, uh, a social and economic codessa, where you bring all the parties together. And one of the documents which could be part of that is the National Development Plan. Now, obviously, there are groups, particularly the unions, which do not like that plan. But I've studied the plan and I've read every word of it, and there's a great deal there which we could make use of. And its, it's, it's, it's failure to implement is a very, very serious loss. But it's that, that the kind of coming together is more than the NDP. It's allowing and enabling people to express their ideas and wishes and hopes. Uh, that means that opposition parties uh, would have to change their tactics of simply becoming a strident voice criticizing the government, but much more uh, suggesting and offering ways and means of resolving our current crisis and and becoming available to be part of that. Now, it takes a, it takes a major step uh, to realize that, but that's what I would recommend and for those who are cynical and feel that that's just total pie in the sky uh, I, I remind them and myself that whoever thought that we were going to have a negotiated settlement in this country in the 1980s there were thousands of people in jail uh, we were in a terrible situation. In 1990, it was turned on its head. In 1994, we had a remarkable election, that no, and, but people were terrified and thought that it would never happen and it would be chaos and blood and so on. People came to my home on election day and asked if they could stay with my home because they thought I was friendly with the black people. <laughs> They also took, did you know that, on the mountain, there were piles of food, canned goods, because they were so scared. Just as in Cadessa, all parties came together and some of the smaller ones played pivotal roles. For instance, the late Colin Eglin from the then Democratic Party was critical in suggesting ways forward when there was deadlock. I think there are a lot of people like that in the country, a lot of very good people who feel that they're being sort of sidelined, uh, pushed out or just feel so overwhelmed by the levels of corruption and inefficiency 
that they've withdrawn. The country has to deal with inequality and poverty, but mostly with jobs, he says. Job creation is extraordinarily difficult. It's not only the responsibility of government, it's the responsibility of business. And I think here business has to really, really get a wake-up call and participate much more actively than they have been in the past. They've done some good, uh, and the fact that they are creating jobs to an extent, that they are making money for the country, uh, attracting investments, that's fine. But I think it's much more serious than that. So at that Codesa, you've got not only the political parties, but you need business there. Uh, You need senior uh, people there. You need uh, the faith communities there and the unions, obviously. And they will try to wreck it and they will raise issues, but you can't exclude them. They have to be there. So looking back at the time of the TRC, did it seem easier to solve the problems of the country than it does now? I think it was easier then um, because we were building on the successful negotiations and very successful peaceful election. So the platform was there and Mandela's influence was at its height. And many people who came to the Truth Commission almost came to the Mandela Commission, if you like. They saw it uh, that he had taken a stand. Uh, we must deal with the past, but we mustn't live in the past. We must learn to live together. We must uh, forgive and move on. And I think a lot of people heard that message and it was a very powerful message, uh, He made his mistakes, uh, and as time goes on, one will discover more, like anybody, like any human being. But he was a powerful force. And uh, one of the things we've got to do in this country is rediscover the moral tone which he uh, expressed and the vision which he gave to the people of South Africa. We've lost that. Bahrain says that ethos changed under President Thabo Mbeki, but even more under President Zuma. We have to, he says, create a road of rediscovery. Recalling Mandela's influence is a step along that path. I think there were basic fundamental values and truths which he uh, espoused in his life and in his words and his actions. I mean, his support of the commission was unbelievable. I mean, I never tried to interfere, never once, didn't agree with everything we were doing. Tutu and I met with him every few weeks. He wanted to know how it was going, and we'd sit over breakfast and tell it, and he'd say, well, go for it, and and there were huge critics that we had. The National Party was very, very critical, took us to court on a number of occasions, disliked us, Butelezi disliked us, and he just said, don't be a sissy, give it back. You know, took all these words. Take, your stand is right, carry on. And uh, I think we need people of vision and moral values and courage and energy to come together. That was Dr. Alex Berain, interviewed in Cape Town on the 15th of May, 2015. 
I'm Pippa Green in Cape Town, produced by Jean-Michel. Thanks to the Cape Town Youth Choir for their musical performance of Senzani Na. You've just listened to History for the Future, what we can learn from the TRC. Keep listening for more insights into the state of reconciliation in South Africa, then and now.